So my name is Joel, and uh, I am blessed to be able to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to look at this idea of family. So um, a while back, at the end of last year, I was meeting with Pastor David, your pastor, and we were talking about what we have going on for 2020. And uh, we both had kind of come around this idea of family and and so we were like, what would it look like to maybe do a series together? Because really, the family of God is bigger than just Creekside Church or Church of Cane Bay or any church. Uh, we are a family. We are part of uh, the body of Christ altogether, and we're part of the kingdom of God altogether. And so we talked about it. We were like, I think it'd be a great way for our people to know that family, the family of God, is bigger than just our individual churches, but God is up to something with his family at large. Uh, and so it would be a cool thing for us to be able to do this together. And so I think a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Will from Cane Bay was here and shared with you guys, and I'm blessed to be able to come today and trade off with uh, David, who is at Cane Bay this morning, and he is preaching um, a week of this series to our folks over there, and so we are excited just to be able to, to kind of exercise this idea of a family together. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be hanging out. Really, kind of as we walk, as you walk through the rest of this series, we are family. We're going to continue to walk through Romans 12 and see uh, what Paul is kind of saying to the church at Rome there. So this is the third week of the series. Uh, really looking at this idea of what it means to be part of the family of God. What are the characteristics of a family uh, that the church should have and should embody, that should be a part of, of who we are. And I realize that um, for a lot of us, this idea of family is kind of a loaded thing because some of us were blessed to grow up in good families with a loving environment, a safe and stable environment, but um, not all of us had that growing up. That wasn't the case for all of us. And some of us found ourselves in growing up in difficult circumstances or, or hard things. And so for a lot of us, this idea of family can be a little loaded sometimes. It can have baggage with it. And we understand that and realize that families aren't perfect. None of us grew up in a perfect family. And the family of God really is no different, right? The church is full of people, just like our families are full of people and people make mistakes. Um, we, are, we are prone towards sin, and so we're going to do things not the right way. We're not always going to have the right intentions, not always going to have the right motives. But the whole beautiful thing about family is that family can take broken people and allow them to figure out what it means to be together, to love each other, to understand each other, to give grace to each other. Um, but to do that, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional to think more about each other than we think about ourselves. And um, this can be a hard thing. Uh, if you're a parent, you know how hard it is um, for us to be thinking more, uh, more about each other than ourselves. The other day I walked into my house and I opened the door and I heard screaming. And my two daughters were on either side of a coloring book. And it was this like massive game of tug and war back and forth that they were having over this coloring book. And, one of them was like, but it's my coloring book, but you said that I could look at it, but I changed my mind, and they're just like back and forth over this coloring book. And it, it's a, Our kids are a great illustration to us of this fact that we struggle to think more about each other, that we're usually thinking about ourselves, and it's who we are uh, at our base nature is that we are selfish people. 
And we as adults aren't really any better than our kids. We get up in arms about things all the time. We wonder, why do they have to be different than me? Why can't everybody just do things the way that I do things and handle things the way that I handle things? And we miss this idea of what the family should really be like when we don't respect each other and we don't respect the gifts and the personalities that God has given us as a variety of people. And so Paul is writing Romans 12 to a church that's full of all different kinds of people who have all different kinds of gifts. But for Paul in writing this, he looks at that and he doesn't see it as a weakness. He doesn't see it as something that's going to bring division. But he looks at it and sees it as a strength. That when God brings a group of people together who have a variety of gifts and a variety of personalities, sure, there's an opportunity there for disaster. But if we as a group of people can begin to think more about each other than we think about ourselves, then God can do something beautiful through it as we have the opportunity to serve using the different gifts that God has given us. And so today we're going to be looking at this idea of what it looks like for us to be a family that serves together uh, with the variety of gifts that God has given us. So let's start off by reading Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Here's what Paul says. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So the first thing that I think Paul is pushing towards, and it's, it's language that he uses here, is that we need to think soberly. We need to think soberly. And specifically in verse 3, he starts off with this idea of how we have to think soberly about me, about ourselves. I love that when he starts in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, and Paul starts off talking about grace here, and just the fact that God has given grace to us, as his people, shows that we need grace. That there's something in us that's not right, something in us that's deficient, that's not perfect, that makes us fall short, where God looks at us and God chooses to show grace towards us. And that thing, of course, is our sin. It's the thing that separates us from God. And that should cause us, Paul says, not to think too highly of ourselves. But because we fall short, because we miss the mark, we should not think too highly about ourselves. And even, even when you think about it, even the good things in our lives that God has blessed us with, the gifts that we have and the good blessings in our lives, those things are a grace to us. And God is consistently showing grace to us at every level where we fall short and in blessing us with what we have that is good. All of it is a grace that God is giving to us. And Paul says this is the lens in which we need to look at our own lives and look at ourselves through. It's through the lens of grace. Because if we try and look at our lives through our emotions and, and through our desires, we're going to end up on a roller coaster. I don't know about you, but I have days where I feel like nothing could possibly go right. And I, don't, I struggle to look at myself in a clear way because I'm viewing myself through my emotions which are, are constantly changing and my desires which are always shifting. And Paul's saying we have to find ourselves examining ourselves on a, a sober and a clear playing field and grace is the best place for us to do that. That if we can see ourselves the way that God sees us, 
that yes, we are valuable, but at the same time, we fall short and we have great need of a Savior. That's a great place to be. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He was a, a German pastor and he wrote an incredible book called Life Together. And it's this book he wrote on Christian community. And he says this. He says, only he who lives by the forgiveness of his sin in Jesus Christ will rightly think little of himself. He will know that his own wisdom reached the end of its tether when Jesus forgave him. When we see ourselves through the grace of God, we can rightly lower ourselves to where we need to be and boast in our Savior, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who wants to use us um, for his own good and for his own glory. But we have to be able to think soberly. And that's kind of a loaded term in our society today, right? This idea of being sober. Uh, we even have laws in our society that don't allow us to do certain things if we're not sober, if we're not able to think clearly. And it's because it's important. We have to be at a point where we're able to think clearly about our lives and clearly, not, not skewed by what we want or what our desires may be or by our emotions, but really looking at who we are according to what God has told us. So we have to be able to think soberly about ourselves first. And when we're able to do that, then Paul says it helps us to think soberly about each other, about us. Look at, look at verse 4 and 5 again. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So we have to be able to think soberly about us. It's not just about me. It's not just about you, but we are part of a body. We are part of the body of Christ. And through the good work of Jesus, the gospel, we have been brought together into a family. Pastor Will said this the first week of the series, that God has adopted us into his family, that we have been brought in together. We've been made brothers and sisters by the hope, by the good news, by the gospel of Jesus. It's the thing that unites us. It's the thing that makes us family. But even united in the gospel, we have diversity as well. We have a diversity of gifts and of functions and of roles, these things that God would use us and our gifts and our personalities and allow us to become a family who do things differently but live according to the same purpose. We really do belong together. God has designed us, the body, the church, to be together as brothers and sisters. It's not if I can go to church or if I want to go to church. We are the church. We are the family of God. We can't avoid it. And because we've been made one, because we are a family together, we need each other. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's personalities. At Cane Bay, we've been doing, uh, on our team, our staff team, we've been doing um, personality assessments and spiritual gift inventories and like all this kind of stuff recently to try and see, well, are we sitting in the, like, the right seat on, on the team and on the bus and who needs to be doing what and all this kind of stuff. And it's always kind of interesting when you do that stuff. And you figure out that God has designed us all differently. God's given us a variety of gifts and a variety of personalities, and we are all different. And the truth is, if we were all the same, things would be really terrible. Like, we wouldn't like each other at all, um, because honestly, like, most of us deep down don't really like ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, but if everybody was like us, 
we would all be trying to do the exact same thing the exact same way and driving each other crazy. There would be no space for us to do what God has designed us to do. But because we have a variety of personalities and a variety of gifts, God has created this beautiful picture of what the family should be where we can work together and function well together. And if we're thinking not about each other, but thinking too much about ourselves and too highly about ourselves, then it devalues the people around us. But as we're able to think about each other the way that God would have us to think about each other, value each other, value each other's gifts that God has provided, then we can thrive as a body and we can thrive as a family. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 12 um, digs a little deeper into this idea. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14, here's what he says. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And jump down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the family of God and individually members of it that God has given gifts to use for the good of the family and for the fame of his name. If we do what God has pushed us to do and gifted us to do. Over Christmas, I got to do something that I hadn't done in a really long time. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So when I was in high school, I started playing uh, music with some friends. And it kind of turned into and developed into this band thing that I was able to do for like eight years of my life. I was in this band through end of my high school, all the way through college, and then post-college. And we were able to make like a couple of albums and travel around the country. It was this really important big thing for me in my life. And God used it in a lot of different ways. And we saw people come to faith in Jesus through it as a ministry. But uh, it, it was just a really important thing. But I knew that God was calling me into something else and calling me into ministry. And I met my wife and we got married. And I knew, I, I felt like God was saying that seminary was kind of the next step for me. And so I had to make a decision one day. Um, to give up that in order to move into what God was calling me to. And, um, but I, it was clear to me that's where God was leading me. That's where God was leading our family. And so um, my wife Emily and I made the decision to, to do that and to move on. And, and not only was it just leaving where I grew up in Mississippi and my family that was there, um, but the, really the, the hardest thing for me to sacrifice was giving up the band and giving up the music. And it was, it was a tough thing. But we did it, and we were faithful to it. And so uh, fast forward, um, leaving that behind, fast forward to now, right, Christmas time. Um, so uh, we're hanging out over Christmas with, uh, with Emily's family one night, and her parents are just like, were like, hey, we'll watch the kids tonight. You guys just go enjoy yourselves, do something, which for us is a big deal. We don't have any family locally, 
at all, so we don't have anybody to just drop the kids off with all the time. So a date night's like a big deal. So we were like, this is great. And Emily was like, I've got a great idea. Just don't ask me any questions about it. We'll go and do it. And I'm like, awesome. This sounds wonderful. And so we hopped in the car and took off. And I'm driving, and she's navigating. And we're, like, heading to the part of town, like, in the direction of where, like, all the stuff to do is. Um, and, and then she, like, veers us off in this really weird direction, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do that way? And the only thing that was that way that I could think of was the college where we both went to school for a while. And sh- sure enough, like, we got off the interstate and pulled onto the campus, and I was like, this is cool. I haven't been here since, like, probably I graduated college a long time ago. I was like, let's get out of the car and walk around. This will be really cool. And she's like, no, we have to be somewhere. I just thought it would be fun to drive through. And I'm like, okay. So we keep going, and... We start going to this part of town that literally I don't think I'd ever been to before in my life and went back into this really weird neighborhood and it's like really dark and we're going down this street for a long time and we were even like running out of houses and there's like nothing around and I'm like what are we doing like where in the world are we going and we pull up in front of this really dark house at the end of this really long road and we get out of the car and I like I don't if you've ever like felt like you were like on the set of a horror movie or something like really bad was about to happen. This was like the feeling that I'm having. We get out of the car and we're walking up to the house and she rings the doorbell and I'm still completely clueless as to what's happening. But the door opens and on the other side is my best friend from college, my roommate who I was in this band with for eight years. And he gives me a hug and I'm like, what in the world? I hadn't seen him in several years. Last time I saw him was a few years ago when my dad passed away. He came to the funeral, and I gave him a hug, and um, it was just this really cool thing, and I, I looked at Emily, and I was like, this is the best surprise, and she was like, it's not over, and I was like, what? And so we walked upstairs in this house, and upstairs were my two other bandmates in this room that's set up with all this musical equipment, and for three hours that night, we got to play music together for the first time in 15 years. Now, they knew everything about it the whole time. And so they got to practice their parts and, and get ready for that evening. And I hadn't played any of that stuff in 15 years. And so I was the weakest link for sure. Um, but we had this great time together playing music and just allowing God to kind of bring us some chemistry. And, and, and it was really magical. But if one of us had been missing that night... It would have been completely different if our drummer had said, you know what, it's just not that important to me. I'm not going to show up. It's not that big of a deal. And he had not come. We would have really missed out on allowing us to be able to do what only we could do. There's my wife who surprised me, by the way. Um, She had to serve a kids at Cane Bay this morning. But um, so we were, uh, it was really cool. But if he had said no, and we would have missed out because we all needed each other. If he had said, I'm just going to come and sit and watch It would have been a totally different thing because only we knew our parts, especially them, because they got to practice them. Um, But only we knew those parts and only we could do those things together as a group. And it took all of us using our gifts, using our talents, using what God had given us um, to be able to function as a team. And the church is no different. That God has designed us to be together. He's given us gifts that when we all use them together, we're able to do something that is magical, that is supernatural because it's of God and not of us. But it takes all of us plugging in and doing what God wants and what God desires. We need each other. We depend on each other. 
And when your gift is missing from what God wants to do in this family, it's not going to be the same. The body is going to suffer. And we're not going to be able to do the work that God wants us to do. Probably on week one of the series, Pastor Will was here and he probably said this, you don't attend the church. You don't attend a family. We are a family. You don't volunteer at a family. You are a family. You don't do family. You don't do church. You are family. Our earthly families are marked by a name that we carry that gives us an identity. And sure, you can like change your name and try and get away from it, but it'll always be a part of who you are and always be a part of your family. I will always be an Ainsworth. But the body of Christ and the church, even here at Creekside, you guys have an identity as a family. You have a name that you carry. And part of that is that you are Creekside, but you carry a name that is so much bigger than that, and that is the name of Jesus. You are the family of God, the body of Christ. And Paul uses this language intentionally. Because as the body of Christ, we collectively represent Jesus. That people look to the body to see Jesus. And when we're functioning well together, and when we're eyes and ears and hands and and, and mouths and working together the way that God desires a body to work, people are able to look and see what Jesus looks like. But if the feet are missing and we can't go then people are going to miss out on who God is and miss out on experiencing the glory of Jesus in our community. If you want people outside of these walls to look and see who Jesus is, they have to look to the church. But church, we have to be there. and We have to be using our gifts and functioning the way that God wants us to function so that they can see him. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15. He says, <clears throat> For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That we give off the sense of who Jesus is, not only to each other, but to people outside of these walls who need to experience Jesus in a real way. And God gives us these gifts to make us like him, and we get to use them to represent Jesus. So we have to think soberly about ourselves and about each other, but we also need to use our gifts to, number two, serve sacrificially. Look at verse six. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul starts again in verse 6 with this idea of grace, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That grace has given us the gifts that we have. They're not naturally ours. They don't just naturally come up. God has given them to us according to his grace. And so Paul says, since he's given them to us, let's use them. The worst thing to do would be to waste them or squander them. If we did that, it would say to God, God, we're not grateful for what you have given us. And then he launches into kind of a list of what some of these different gifts are. And it's not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you want to see some more of these gifts. But he names prophecy and service and teaching and encouragement and generosity 
leading and mercy. But the whole point of what he's getting to the whole time is action. If you have service, serve. If you have teaching, teach. If you have an encouragement, encourage. Whatever the gift is that God has given to you, he didn't give it to you so that you can sit on the sidelines. But he gave it to you so that you can be a part of the body and use it for his glory and the good of his gospel. There's a great example of what this looks like um, in history. Uh, that I, I just love this story where you see a group of people who have different uh, gifts who came together and used them for the better of the whole. But in the 1980 Olympics, and I was only one at the time, so uh, I, I don't remember this, but I love the, the, the history of it. Um, the 1980 Olympics, um, you have the USSR hockey team who had won five out of the six previous Olympic gold medals, and we're moving into the 1980 Olympics, and they were slated number one. They were going to go all the way. They were going to win everything. And then you had America, um, who, if we're really honest with ourselves, like hockey's just not that big of a deal. Uh, I grew up in Mississippi. Now I'm in South Carolina. Like hockey hasn't been the biggest sports deal for us. I mean, today, right, is the Super Bowl, uh, which really encapsulates like this idea of American sports. We don't have like a... a whatever the hockey equivalent of that is, isn't nearly at that level, right? And so, but hockey's just not as big of a deal. And so the U.S. is like putting their team together. And I really offended people at Cane Bay when I said that, by the way. So uh, if you love hockey, like, I, I think hockey's awesome. Uh, it's just a different, different thing. Um, so the American team was putting together their team that year. And uh, just proof of the fact that hockey isn't a big deal was, like, who they had as a team that year. And so, like, they only had one person returning from the previous Olympic team uh, who came back to the team that year. Most of them were, like, college athletes. They didn't have any professional, like, hockey players on the team that year. It was not, like, not a star-studded team at all. Even the team captain, his, his name was Mike Arizon, and at his college, Boston College, he didn't even make the main team. Like, he was on the B team at Boston College. And this was the team captain for America that year. And so they get ready, and they move into the Olympics. And three days before it starts, there was an exhibition match between the U.S. and the USSR. And the U.S. just got trounced by the USSR, 10-3. to 3. It was this really uh, difficult game that, that could have cast a shadow over the American team moving into the Olympics that year. But Mike, the team captain, probably because uh, of the fact that he was a B-team guy, uh, he, realized the, he realized that it's not about who you have that's like a star on your team or stands out above the rest, but it's about allowing who you have to use the gifts that they have for the betterment of the team and working together. And so they started to do this as they played through the, the games, and, and it worked. Like, they were doing well, and they were successful, and coming into... This uh, big match against USSR, it was the next to last match that they were going to play, but the only match that they would play against them that year. Um, the, the team was doing really well. In fact, um, moving further into the game, they actually took the lead, and things were looking really good. And, and it all like kind of encapsulated in this moment that became known as the miracle on ice. And so I actually have a video clip of the last minute of that game that we can watch. Okay? Into the American end, 55 seconds, but Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in, out in front, backhander goes wide, and 
Dominic Craig might have got a just a piece of it. Mikhailov, back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow, checked into the boards, it comes back to center ice. 38, 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it, the Americans on top, four to three. Long shot, Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds, the crowd going insane. Carlemont, shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Billy Legendov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Nobody thought that this would ever happen. Nobody thought that the American team had a chance of even coming close to the USSR team. But if you heard what the announcer said as the time clock was going down, he said, do you believe in miracles? And guys, just imagine, church, do we believe in miracles? Do we believe in what God could do? If we as God's people decided to use the gifts that God has given us for his kingdom, for his glory, for the good of each other, for the fame of his name. If we really believed in that, then I think it would be so incredible to see the things that God was able to accomplish. If we were each able to use our gifts together. Giving an expression the goodness of who God is through the way that we're able to serve each other. But when we don't use those gifts, it hurts what God wants to do. It hurts the mission that God has given us. Listen to me this morning. The gospel of Jesus does not produce spectators. It produces teammates. We are a team with each other. We have a goal. We have a mission that God has given us. And we don't sit back and watch the mission. But we do the mission together. The gospel doesn't just produce friends. It produces family who are bought into what God wants. And we all use our gifts for the good of his name. Bonhoeffer says later on in the book Life Together, he says this. In a Christian community, everything depends on whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable every single one of us and every single one of our gifts matters it matters to the whole it matters to the body of christ it matters to what god wants to do and what god wants to accomplish 
And when we make a decision not to use our gifts, it means that we're thinking too much about ourselves. We're thinking that it's, you know, it's going to be too much work. It's going to be too hard for me to get it done. And I just, I can't take on anything else right now, so I'm not going to do it. Or, or maybe for us, it's like a, a calendar thing. I just don't have the space. I don't have the time to devote to it, so I'm not going to do it. Or maybe, uh, maybe we're ashamed and we don't want to see other people, have other people see us using our gifts. And so we kind of hold back. But all of those, the problem with all of them is they're about me. They're not about him. They're not about what God wants. And as a body of Christ, we have to think more about we than we do me. And that's really bad grammar. Like, I get it. I was an English major in college. But the point's there. How do we think more about ourselves? How do we think more about each other as a group than we do about just me? How do we think more about the body? This is what families do. Families sacrifice the individual good for the good of each other. If you're a parent, you know exactly what this means. You sacrifice what you want every single day for the sake of your kids. It's what parents do. It's what families do. And the body of Christ should be no different. Where we're always sacrificing what we want for the sake of each other. We have to think like family. And the primary way that we get to do this is we can use our gifts. We can use our gifts to serve each other. I know here at Creekside, there's so many places where you can serve in and be, be a part of a team. I was here this morning with a team that set this place up and made this a wonderful environment for us to come together and worship. That's a place you can plug in. Or the worship team here this morning or, or serving back in kids. Whatever it may be, there's a place where you can use your gifts to serve the good of the body. And your family needs you. Creekside Church is at its best when you are serving with Creekside. And because God has designed you this way, you are at your best when you are serving alongside God's family in the same way. But it's not just about us, and it's not just about what happens here. But God's also called us outside of these walls to our community, to people that need to know and experience the goodness of Jesus. And we have to use our gifts to show what light looks like in darkness. We're called to be Jesus. We're called to be that visible representation. The body of Christ among the world that is allowing them to get a sense of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. We have this ultimate call to make disciples. And we do that personally, yes, but we also do it as a family. What's the mission of Creekside Church? I'm going to put it up here so we can see it. Creekside Church exists see, to saturate Goose Creek and beyond by giving every man, woman, and child consistent encounters with Jesus. This mission happens when we, as a body, use the gifts that God has given us outside of these walls to express who Jesus is to people who need to know Jesus in such a real way. It's a massive goal. It's a big goal. Goose Creek is a huge town with lots of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if this goal, if this mission is going to be met, then God needs you using your gifts 
And that is when the family is strongest, when you use the gifts that God has given you. <clears throat> it's why here at Creekside, there are community groups, and community groups that you can plug in and be a part of. I think they started actually just this week, a new semester. And every single one of those community groups is a group where they meet weekly and uh, have time, community time together around the table, get to know each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, spend time studying scripture. But they each also have a mission. And that mission is an opportunity for you to use your gifts to display Jesus to the world outside. One of them serves this school that's here. One of them is out serving in the, in the Wingate area. And one of them is serving military families in the community. You guys, this is the perfect place for you to plug in and use your gifts so that Jesus can be seen and known in a real way. When you think about your gifts and think about the gifts that God has given you, there is a community group that needs your gifts. And I love it when I can see people use the gifts that God has given them in, in a real way. We at Cane Bay, <clears throat> Emily and I, my wife, started a new group just this past semester that's reaching out uh, into the area of foster care in our community. Um, both of our girls are adopted out of foster care, and we just have a really passionate heart for what God can do uh, in that world. And so, um, so it's something that we cared about deeply. And so our goal is to support and encourage foster families that are already uh, there, and then we're promoting the idea of foster care and trying to get more families on board and engaged in the system. And we started this group, and we had been with the same group for years uh, and had a great community, and it was a beautiful thing, but we knew God was calling us to step up into this area. And so we started with a new family. And it honestly, it was a family of people who didn't really know each other that well, um, we didn't have strong relationships because a lot of them were really new to our church and really new to our community. Um, but it was incredible to see what God was able to do in not only bringing us together and making it feel like a family, but in allowing us to use our gifts for the good of our community. There, uh, we had a list of addresses, names and addresses of foster families in our, our community. And we're like, okay, so we have addresses. Are we supposed to go knock on doors and be like, hey, you're a foster you know, parent, and my name's so-and-so, I'm with Church of Cane Bay, and we're trying to figure out how do we engage these people, and, and uh, so one of our folks is like, hey, I'm really good at, like, Google Docs and Google Forms, like, I can build a spreadsheet and a survey that we can, like, get out to them, and, and we can start to get some more of their info, their phone numbers, their email addresses, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, praise the Lord, that's great, let's do that. Another one was like, I know that, like, just knocking on doors or making phone calls scares a lot of you, but, like, I love cold calling people that I don't know and having conversations with them, and we're like, awesome, that's wonderful, go with it, let's do that. <clears throat> Another one of our members is really artistic, and uh, she was trying to find the right spot for her gifts, and we did this foster parents night out where they dropped their kids off, and then they went and did their thing, and she sat down and painted the face of about 30 30 kids who came in our doors that night that we got to hang out with, and while she painted their face, she shared the gospel with them. Like, that is using your gifts for the good of the kingdom. And I know that there is a place here at Creekside for you to use the gifts that God has given you so that people can see and experience who Jesus is in a real way. Where there is a need, God is going to bring someone along with a gift that can meet that need if all of us are willing to step in and use those gifts. So as we finish up today, 
I think the first thing that we need to do is just kind of admit to God that we have a gift. Admit to God that he's given us a gift that we can use. And I believe, and I believe scripture teaches that God has gifted each one of us with a gift, at least one, usually multiple, that we're able to use for the good of the kingdom. And so what I want us to do this morning is, as we all have the opportunity to admit, like, yes, I have a gift, is I want us to admit that to God. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you have a gift that God has given you, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. It should be all of us. <laughs> if you have a gift that God has given you to use, let's stand together. This is our opportunity to admit to God, God, I have a gift that you've given me. But we can't just stop at standing. We've got to keep going. And I, I know a lot of you are probably saying, so God probably has given me a gift, but I don't really know what it is. I mean, I talked earlier about spiritual gift inventories, and there are a lot of different ways that you can try and figure out how God has gifted you. But I honestly believe that the best way that you can figure out what your gift is, is just plug in and start serving and see what God does. If you plug into a community group and say, I just want to be a part, uh, and I want to use my gifts in some way, uh, I, I don't know what it is yet, but I want to see what it is, I think that you'll become part of a community and that you'll begin to do things and that you're going to have people come alongside you and say, man, I love it when you did this. Like this was powerful. This was incredible. You need to keep doing that. That God is going to show you clearly what the gifts are that he has given you to use for the good of the body, to use for the good. See how God uses you. Those are the gifts that God has given you that he wants to grow in you and allow you to do. But we can't stop at standing this morning. We have to keep moving. We have to keep going by serving. And so I want us to commit this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And it's an opportunity for you to pray as well and say, God, I know that you've given me a gift in this area. And God, I want to use it. I want to use it in a community group. I want to use it on a team here at Creekside. I want you to be able to declare who you are by me having an opportunity to serve. That a community outside who doesn't have hope and doesn't know and experience the grace and the hope of Jesus will be able to look at my life and my community group and Creekside Church and the family of churches in our community and see Jesus. And see Jesus who gave himself up, who sacrificed his wants and his desires and even his own life on a cross. And if we can see Jesus as highest and our best example of what it means to give up ourselves for the sake of others, guys, we can use the gifts we have to go. So I pray that you will find and listen. Don't miss out. Only you have your gift. This church needs you to use it. Your community group needs you to use it. Your team needs you to use it. If you're an ear, how are we going to hear without you? If you're a foot, how are we going to go without you? Let's allow God to use us and allow God to do what God wants to do. Let's pray together. God, we trust you and we believe you. We know, God, that you have gifted us, Lord, that you have given us 
out of the goodness of who you are and the goodness of your grace, God, gifts that we can use to declare that you are best, that there's nothing in this world that can come close to you. And God, that all we have and all the good that is in us comes from you. God, may our lives be a picture of your grace. God, I pray for this church. I pray for Creekside, Lord, that this would be a church who really believes in the mission of saturating their city with the hope of Jesus. And God, that as they come together, using the gifts, serving this community with the gifts that you have given them, Lord, that people would look at them and see Jesus. People would look at them and see hope. And people would look at them and see good news. God, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do through it. And we look forward to giving you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.